0: I would really like my last words to be profound, you know, something, you know, I'm there on my deathbed and I say something like, the secret of the universe is pasta, something, something amazing that will shatter, you know, my family, they'd be, oh, wow, this is great, uh, something sees the day, I don't know, you, you want your last words to, to be something special and powerful. I was looking up uh, this article on Business Insider a few years ago, and it was recording some of the, the last words of some famous people that you might know. And so I thought I'd I'd read a few, if that's that's okay with you. This one comes from Bob Marley, the, mu- the musician. You know Bob Marley? Yeah. Money can't buy life. That's a good one. Huh? Sounds like a Beatles song. Can't buy me anyway. anyway. So the last Bob Marley. Uh, Karl Marx. Uh, that guy, he said, the last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Kind of dark. I, I like the other marks, Groucho marks. And he said, this is no way to live. Because uh, he was dying. Anyway, I thought it was funny. Da Vinci, you know, famous you know, craftsman, artist, right? He said this, I've offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. What? I mean, this guy's an amazing artist, but that's what he said. And Nostradamus, you know, that guy that you, sometimes you'll find on the, the impulse checkout items, you know, at the supermarket with all the predictions. Well, you'll never guess what his last words apparently were. You will not find me alive at sunrise. Now, that was one that actually came true, apparently. <laughs> that was one prediction by Nostradamus that, that came true. Maybe, maybe my last words should be more like this. In, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of the early church leaders, as he was dying, this was his last few words, he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Basically, he's saying, I see Jesus. Those would be good last words, wouldn't it? I see Jesus. Wouldn't that be cool to be able to say that? Well, I think we all want to end well we want our last words to mean something, we want our last actions to mean something. We want to we want to leave a legacy, right? A legacy of good. We want that to carry on after we after we leave. I think I think we all want that. Well, today we are in the 5th book of what we call the Torah. The Torah is a, is a Hebrew word, a, a Jewish word that just meant law, but it was more uh, more like a, a law for life, a guidance for life. That's the way that that early early first century Jewish people would have looked at it. The Torah is the first five books of our English Bibles, and we've been going through book by book. And you should probably know these by now, right? It starts with starts with G Genesis, then it goes to E Exodus, then we got an L Leviticus, then last week was Numbers. Today is another one with a D, it starts with D, it's Deuteronomy, the, the book with the, weird, with the weird name. And I, I realize, uh, this was pointed out to me earlier, they all sort of have weird names. Well, that could be true, but Deuteronomy maybe especially has an odd, odd name to it. This is my favorite one of the five. Deuteronomy, by far, my favorite one of the five. And, and, and there's, there's reasons for that that I'll talk about, but this was kind of the swan song. Of Moses. This was his last hurrah. This is his last moment to speak to the people before he kicks the bucket. This is his last moment where he gets to kind of give final instructions. They're finally there after a 40 year crazy, wicked camping trip that finally ended right to the promised land, a promised land that was promised way back to the family of Abraham, and they're finally there. So this is Moses' swan song, Deuteronomy. We're going to talk about that today. So hope you brought your Bible. If you've got a device or a Bible, start finding the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth one in the Old Testament. Uh, my name is Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here. If This is your first weekend with us. Awesome that you're here. We gather like this on Sunday mornings every week because today's the first day of the week. And this is the day that we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and changed human history forever. And so that's why we make it a point to gather every weekend. Yes, online. Yes, in person. We gather every day to lift up the name of Jesus, especially on Sunday. It was a day that was the game changer for us. And so we gather to lift him up. And to take a deep breath, first day of the week, let's put Jesus first. Uh, and, And in doing so, let's right now pause for a word of prayer, and then we'll get into today's message in Deuteronomy. Here we go. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love, your faithfulness, your mercy. It's new every morning. Father, we lean into your word today. Speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And may each of us leave this place able to share your good news with everybody that you put in our path. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we get to Deuteronomy. You've got that in your, in your, your Bibles. Deuteronomy, it's the, it's the book with the, sort of the weird name. And when you, when you think of the word, you start breaking it down. Some of you are better in English than I am, but you start calling, okay, duo, that sounds like duo, two, right? And then you see uh, onomy or onos. In, in, in Greek, it would be namos, which means law. So we get this title of this book, kind of the two law, if you will. Now, for the Jewish people, they didn't call it the, the, the Deuteronomy name. They actually call it the words, now you're thinking, well, that's kind of interesting. Well, let's, let's figure out where they got that. So if you have your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 1, let's read the first sentence or so. Deuteronomy 1.1. 1, 1. These are the words... <laughs> okay. Did you catch that? Oh, let's try that again. Back up the tape. Here we go. These are the words... That's where they get the title. Okay, I'll continue. That Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. So... These are the words that Moses spoke in the wilderness area. This is the last spot. This is the last wilderness area before they're about to cross the Jordan and hit their conquest of Canaan. I was talking earlier to someone and they were saying that, you know, we've been reading these five books. And then you get to Joshua and you're like, oh, my goodness, what's happening here? Because there's like military conquests and, 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 and bloodshed. And it, it's a little hard to read. And, uh, and so I just want you to, to lean in that sometimes when we're reading Scripture, uh, th- there are lots going on here, and some of those things uh, may be unsettling for our modern mindset. And so just, re- just realize that you read it with that in mind. Uh, but I really believe, like, like scholar N.T. Wright would say, that everything that's in Scripture, these, these, this collection, this anthology that we call the Bible, the 66 books, these are what God wanted us to see. Uh, what we have here is what God wanted us to, to, to read. So sometimes even though something's difficult, we want to lean in, not lean back. We want to lean in and say, what, what can we learn from that? So Deuteronomy, we get here and we have Moses' final words. And, and, and in the Deuteronomy, the word just means second law, but it's not really a second law. It's more like a reminder, uh, kind of a, 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 a taking, taking another gander at the covenant that they all got about 38 years ago at Mount Sinai. That's what's happening. So Moses is reminding the people of what the the, the previous generation had agreed to at Mount Sinai. Remember how long they were at Mount Sinai? How long? A whole year. So they were there a long time. It should have probably settled in their minds. And this was their parents that were there. They were the ones that came out. And now we have this new generation. And so Moses is giving them a reminder. So think of it as a reminder of what they agreed to, uh, really, from the second half of Exodus all the way through Leviticus. Um, and so this, you may ask the question, well, why do we need to hear it all again? Didn't we just get that already in Exodus and Leviticus? Well, remember, a generation had died off, right? The generation, the actual people that, that were marched out of Egyptian slavery, now they have all died off. And so you have their kiddos. And those kiddos needed to hear, again, what we had all agreed to. Right? So this is a, a reminder of here's the deal. If you want to have life, if you want to have shalom, you want to have haim, that's life, you, you need to follow these, the, these things that I've set out in the covenant. So they needed to hear it again. And, and, and let me just put the map up on, on the screen one more time. So I've, I've got a it's, a... it's a real high-tech thing I've done here. I put a, an arrow... Uh, Clip art arrow to see where we're at. Now, you'll notice there's a lot of lines in the middle there because we're not completely sure their wanderings, their their, their itinerary as they wandered through these areas. Just know that as they were wandering, people's been dying, and so a generation has died off. And so they end up kind of skirting around some places. Do you know the arrow? You see it kind of in the middle. It hits kind of where Edom is, that E-D-O-M you notice how they have to go all the way around to get to where the arrow is. You notice that? They have to go all the way around this area of Edom and Moab. Anybody remember why they had to not take the easy route and they had to go all the way around? Edom and Moab, you know, they didn't want these Israelites messing up their front lawns. Didn't want them around, so they kind of no you can't go through our area although that would have been much easier as you can see so they end up going all the way around to the east they end up north of the dead sea somewhere near mount nebo and that's where you see a little triangle i know it's kind of hard to see but that's where they they end up at the plains of moab north of the dead sea ready for the conquest of canaan and deuteronomy is all about warning this next generation and reminding them of the mistakes of their parents and hey we don't want to do that again and now, here's the, here's the story. We're going to march in. We're going to do this new nation. Here's the covenant that we're going to set it up on. Make total sense? You all with me? Good? It's good? You with me? Nods are okay. All right, that's where we are. We're up there by the arrow. Just remember the arrow. We're there, and we're waiting for Moses to give us these instructions and how, how we're supposed to obey God in the promised land of Canaan. I like what one scholar wrote, and let me just read this for you. Deuteronomy unfolds the essence of what God revealed to Moses out at Mount Sinai and that an exclusive devotion to God expressed in everyday life is a key to lifetime of blessing. Further, the central theme of Deuteronomy is the unique relationship that had been established by a unique God, listen to this now, with a unique people, the Israelites. In Deuteronomy, Moses reminded the Israelites that they had entered into a contractual agreement, a covenant, with their unique God. And that covenant was mentioned some 26 more times by Moses here. No nation, listen to this, no nation had ever experienced anything like it. If Israel obeyed, they would enjoy God's blessing and favor. If Israel obeyed, they would enjoy God's blessing, right? If Israel obeyed, did I, did I get a good emphasis on that? If Israel obeyed, right? So now in Jewish circles, this, this book is known as the Word. So it's the words of Moses, he's giving them, and, and really for, for, for many in the Jewish culture, even today, Moses is kind of like a superhero. He, he's kind of like the guy. This is Moses, yeah, we have Abraham, that's good, the family thing, but Moses, he was, he was, he was our guy. And so Moses gives them this swan song, and, uh, and, and who's, let's do a vote. If, we, if, you, if you're going to do uh, your version of the English Bible, would you call this book Deuteronomy or the words? Who would say Deuteronomy? How about the words? Okay, it's opposite of first service. They all wanted to stick with Deuteronomy because that was a tradition. Tradition. You've got to stay with tradition. Okay, I, I'm with you. I think the Words is good. Whichever way you want to call it. This is kind of a, a really crucial part. When we look at Deuteronomy... There are three ways that that scholars have looked at this book, and it's actually fascinating. And there's three ways. One, three speeches of Moses. The next idea is uh, an expansion of the Ten Commandments. And the third idea is this is an example of a vassal treaty from about the 1400s B.C. I'll explain all those three things, but there's three different ways you could look at it, and I've got my own opinion as we get to the end of that. Uh, I might share with you if you're lucky. Here we go. First one is this, three speeches. Let's look at three speeches. So you got Moses speaking, right? We already knew that part. And in the first, what, four chapters, he kind of does this learning from history. Remember, the kiddos were there listening. Their parents had died because of you know, disobedience and they weren't trusting God and doing idolatry. Uh, so they weren't going to be marched in as this nation into uh, Canaan. So The reminder of history, given a good history lesson. Remember this, watch out for this. We get a history lesson first. Talk number two starts around chapter five and leads through most of the book. Talk number two is about explaining the law of God. Okay? Well, we'll go with it. Then we got the third talk, which is kind of like, we're going to renew this thing. Are you all in? Everybody raise your hand. Take a photo. Okay, we all said we're in on this covenant. That's what happens in talk number three. Well, and there's this little part where Moses basically says, yeah, but you're not going to follow this. But anyway, I digress. That's, that's ahead. I'm skipping ahead. Here's the second one. And you're going to find this, i found on this, fascinating. The second way you could look at Deuteronomy is an expansion of the Ten Commandments. You remember the Ten Commandments? They show up in what, Exodus 20? You know, no other God before me. You know, don't commit adultery. Don't steal stuff. You know, don't covet. You remember that? Obey the Sabbath. Obey your parents. The Ten Commandments. Well, it's interesting that Deuteronomy actually, in order of the original ten, marched through the Ten Commandments. He just adds to it. Kind of like giving some more information on each of the ten. That actually happens in the book of Deuteronomy. You don't, read it, I'm telling you. You don't believe me. I don't I, I know how you all are. You just read it. But there's like an expansion of the Ten Commandments. It starts with, uh, you know, around uh, uh, chapter 6 and goes all the way through chapter 26 in order, a little more, on each of the Ten Commandments. How the Sabbath is supposed to work, right? That's, the, what, number four? Commandment number four, how, obeying your parents. That's, that's and expand it on that. Expand it on covenant, or, you know, of, of taking wanting something that your neighbor has, uh, coveting. So, that's the second way to look at it. And here's the kicker. The third way to look at Deuteronomy, and this is fascinating, you might miss it on a first read, but the way that Deuteronomy is laid out in addition to those two other ways that we talked about, is in an ancient Near East treaty. So, and there's reasons why this is important. Remember, God is is making a covenant with his people to start a nation, right? So there's this covenant sort of contracting of here's how this is going to work, here's here's how it's going to be. And so, we have in Deuteronomy, and this is why it's important, we have a, a preamble, Right? This sounds like a preamble to the Constitution or something, but oh, that's not too far from what we're talking about. We have a preamble, we have a prologue, a historical prologue, then we have stipulations for blessing and curses, then we have the witnesses, does this sound legal? We have the witnesses, and then, and then we have um, arrangements for succession, what happens for leadership, uh, and... Uh, So we we have a layout of Deuteronomy that actually matches what would have been the common way for a, a new king to set up a nation. To set up, especially if you're taking over like another country, you'd set up this contract to take over and to start something in a legal fashion. So what we have is an ancient Near East vassal treaty laid out exactly like it would have been. Now, we didn't know this for a long time. You know how biblical archaeology works? It seems like they got to dig stuff up, and then they find stuff and go, oh, well, the Bible was right. This has happened several times. This particular one is really, really important because for the longest time, scholars thought Moses had nothing to do with this. It really wasn't Moses. This was attributed later, maybe written during exile or something like that, much later. It couldn't have been written around the, you know, 13, 14, 1500 B.C., well, then they find stuff in the ground. And they have found ancient near east treaties that follow the same order as Deuteronomy. What that means is a number of things. First of all, Moses understood the culture of his time, and he he would also understand the people would understand this is making a treaty for national purposes. See, there's a, there's a country being born here. So there's, there's all of that going on. Plus, now we can date Deuteronomy older than we ever have. Because he's following a treaty pattern that would have only been the ancient Near East pattern of the time around the 1400s. Somewhere in there. I don't know exactly. Because we found actual treaties from that time frame. It wasn't newer because those things changed over time. So around the exile or around the intertestinal period, you still had vassal treaties, but they weren't done in this order. So this tells us we can trust the age and there's likelihood it was during the time frame that we think Moses would have been someone who lived in. So that's pretty powerful. We have the setup of a nation. So I don't know which, which three ways you want to take, take the book of Deuteronomy. I kind of think they're all good. I think they all kind of work together. We have the talks of Moses, yes, I mean, it's called the words of Moses, we have the talks, we have the Ten Commandments expanded, and it's done in a way that looks like a national treaty, a vassal treaty would have looked like. I think they're all three true. Here's what's important, well, even more important than that. This book is quoted over 80 times in the New Testament part of our Bibles. So this is a pretty important book. As I mentioned before, I think it's my favorite book, and we'll get to that reason in a bit, but... 80 times. In fact, this is the book that Jesus goes to when he's tempted. Now, some of us have been tempted this week to do something we ought not to do. And I don't know what scriptures pop into your head when you're trying to make this decision. Do I, you know, do I I look at this thing I shouldn't look at? Or should I overdo it here? Or you know what I mean? I don't know when you're tempted. I don't know what your go-to is so that you can, you can by faith, get through it. But Jesus, when he was tempted in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, he's taken into the wilderness. And for 40 days, we already talked about the connection of 40, right? 40 days he's in the wilderness, he's tempted, he does not sin. But when he's tempted, he quotes from what book three different times? See if you can guess. Deuteronomy. Good guess. Or the words, however you want to say it. Quotes from Deuteronomy three different times, right? Remember remember what Jesus says, you know, don't tempt the Lord your God. Uh, I think he had another one, you know, man should not live on bread alone. Remember that? Those phrases are from Deuteronomy. So it mattered. And the early church memorized these things. This is part of their their faith life with the Lord. So so what happens is, we'll we'll get back to the map. Oh, this is a bigger version of the map. So they're they're there. I got another, look at that. I got another high-tech arrow for you, you are welcome. If you'd like uh, techniques that I used to put that arrow there, let me know. So there, I, I've got it pointing to Mount Nebo because this is where Moses was, was able to, to kinda see the whole area of land or at least a good part of it, 30,000 foot view. Moses is up on Mount Nebo and God said, Here, here's the promised land. This is where Joshua, your Padawan, is gonna take the people. Uh, you can't go because there was that whole incident with Moses and the rock, you remember some of that, you may not, but there was a moment where the people were complaining, as was usually the case with Israel. They were complaining they didn't have any water, and Moses, God, God does this miracle through Moses, and then Moses right away does not give credit to God. So Moses couldn't go into the promised land. His, his, his you know, second you know, command, Joshua, gets to do that. And, uh, and so they're there. The people have finally arrived, right? They finally, after all this time, you know, the, the worst camping trip ever. Forty-some years, people dying, it's dusty, smelly, you know, the porta-potties weren't working. They're, they're marching through. The, can you imagine this camping trip? Some of you are, you don't like camping, and you're like, this is no way I would be on this trip. They finally get there. They can taste it. They can taste, we're finally there. Remember, they're excited because the, the, the land of Canaan, the, the promised land was supposed to be this land of milk and honey. They can taste it. They can taste it. This is the land that those spies in Numbers went to check on, right? And they confirmed, yeah, this has got great fruit. Uh, everything looks great. And, and so this is the land and they can taste it. They're right there. After 40 years... They're finally there. This next generation, they are hungry, probably literally. They are really ready to get in there. Moses gets this bird's eye view of Canaan from Mount Nebo. But again, he's going to have to rely on his second command, Joshua, to get the people finally over the Jordan, which is going to be a miracle, and get them into the conquest of Canaan. And again, Moses is reminding the people, remember remember that covenant. Remember that covenant. Remember that covenant. And the book ends with the transfer of power to Joshua. And then Moses, he dies. And somebody else obviously probably would have had to put the ending on Deuteronomy because Moses can't do that postpartum. So somebody said, yeah, he, he died. You Confirm that we get that. The end of Mo, he's there. And it's interesting that we do find in the, the end of Deuteronomy, we get this peculiar song that Moses I guess he wrote it for the people. I'm not really sure how that worked. We do know that Moses had some poetic skills. Psalm 90, by the way. But he, he kind of gives the people a song. It's basically like, Kumbaya, none of you are going to follow this law, and you're going to die. That's kind of what this song, I, I'm paraphrasing, but they give, he teaches them a song that will basically say, try as you might, you're not going to be able to keep this and so remember this song when you're kind of struggling and being disciplined that, yeah, you brought this on yourself. That's, that's kind of how the book of Deuteronomy ends. If we were to sum up what Moses was trying to convey, I would say you could, you could say it like this. You're to keep the, the words in this pact and act on them in order that you may thrive in everything you do. In fact, Moses tells him, look, if you follow God's law, your clothes ain't going to wear out. Your shoes will always stay nice. I mean, it gets, it gets that specific. Like, we'll, we'll, you, you will have everything taken care of if you follow the words of the law. That's how you're going to thrive. Another scholar wrote this. I love this. Israel, as the covenant people, were obligated to love and obey and worship and serve Yahweh exclusively. It's really important to get that word. Exclusively. And that, that's the way to peace, shalom and life, haim. That's the pathway for peace and life. Now let's, let's bring, it, bring it to us. So we've talked kind of 30,000 foot view of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You got this, right? Now Jesus would say, especially in the first century, he, he would speak to the religious leaders and he would say that if you had read the Torah, you would have been anticipating me. You would have seen me. Now the question is, if you were one of those religious scholars in the first century and all you had was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, would you have seen Jesus? Would you have expected a Messiah in the first century that would be punished by the Roman Empire? Would you have expected it? I'm not sure I would have. I mean, I've read. Now, here's the deal. We may sit there and go, oh, of course we would have, Ben. Because, well, you, the thing is, we know about the Jesus connection. We know that covenant. Well, so we're reading it with Jesus' lenses. But they wouldn't have done that initially. And, and, but Jesus tells the religious leadership, it was all about me and you missed it. When they're getting mad at him and they want to put him to death, he said, look, if you'd have just read the scriptures, they all point to me. That's what he told the religious leadership, and they wanted to to hurt him for it. Would you have recognized him? You see, the the, the Jews in the first century and even beyond referred to all the Old Testament, not just the first five books, as what they call the Tanakh, which is the Torah, uh, the Ketuvim, which is the prophets, and the writings. The law, the prophets, and the writings. And all of them Jesus says sum it up point to me and the religious leadership didn't catch it in fact Jesus will even sum up the whole torah in Matthew 22 and he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 6:5 and Leviticus 19:18 and you may be thinking I don't Ben's a real Bible scholar I don't even I don't know what those say yes you do you do love the lord your god with all your heart soul, mind, and strength, and Leviticus 19.18, and love your neighbor as yourself. He summed up the Torah in those very simple statements. Loving God, loving your neighbor. So here's the deal. When you're reading the Old Testament, you're reading a book like Deuteronomy, maybe that's what you need to start reading into. How how, how does this help me here um, see God's love? And, And how does this help me see God's mercy? How does this help me love my neighbor? And you can read that into even these older books in our Bibles. How does this, how does, and here's another question. How does God make allowances for my stubbornness? Because sometimes we read these old stories and we think, oh, those, those Israelites, they were, you know, ignorant. They didn't know much and I'm way smarter. No, you're not. We do the same things. We harden our hearts. We're stubborn. We, we, we'll do this. We'll even say yes to God on Sunday the next day. Pretend like we never even heard a church. Why aren't we like, we're stubborn. We have hardness of heart. We're going to talk about more of that in just a second, but these, this is our story. We are rooted in an ancient story that goes so far back. We're part of this story, but what do we believe as a church? We believe that the Bible is a cover-to-cover story of God's great love through Jesus Christ. And this, th- these older passages, and I, I don't even like calling them older. I, let's, let's call it First Covenant, right? These things teach us the history. There's a backstory to the greatest story. These are really His story, all culminated in Jesus Christ. It's our story. And here, here's the thing, and this is what one of the reasons I really love Deuteronomy. Over 220 times, God reveals Himself in very human traits. The, the, I guess, scientific term, anthropomorphic. Over 220 times, God reveals himself as hands, feet, mouth, eyes. He's, he reveals himself as walking and riding and in his strong arms. Jesus said, if you would have read the Old Testament, if you would have read the Torah, you would have seen me. Because who is Jesus? It says God put on flesh and walked among us. He had hands, feet, a mouth. It's Jesus, folks. Deuteronomy gives us a hint of God with hands and feet and great love for his people. Even after rebellion, after rebellion, after rebellion. We see Deuteronomy kind of just make it obvious. And so Jesus is saying, look, when you see this, the Old Testament is speaking of me. This is me. So when you read in Deuteronomy, his hands, his feet, and even, even things like his characteristics of love and mercy. In the first century, the scriptures tell us that God put on flesh and walked among us. And what did he have? feet, and mercy. The scriptures painted the picture of God put on flesh and walking amongst his people and dealing with sin in a radical way that they would never have expected. Well, they would have, I guess they would have read, huh? The, The cross. And he didn't stay there. He rose from the dead and offered conquering for all of us, victory, forgiveness of sin, penalty of sin taken care of, you see, Torah, if I were to sum it up, it's, 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 it's this journey of dealing with the problem of sin. God's great goodness in the sinfulness of sin. And so we see that, that, that tension happening in Torah. And, and, and sin has and always will be a problem that takes a God-sized solution. We don't have it in us. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verse 6, we have this kind of a creative and sort of interesting metaphor called heart circumcision. And that we need God to do surgery on us. That our hearts are hardened. We need a new heart. And that is something done to us, not something that we do. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, It says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Basically, this idea of kind of cutting off the the dead and unnecessary parts so that we can have a new heart that beats for God. That sets up the prophet Jeremiah in in chapter 31. It says this, "For, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, Declares the Lord, I will put my law with them and within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. See, one day God was going to put Torah inside of them. He would give them a new heart, a new way, if you will, to be human. Being people that not just avoided adultery, but would also avoid lusting after someone to to use them. They would be people that would be generous even when people can't pay you back. That's a new way to be human. A heart that would would not just not murder people, but would not hate people in in your heart. A new way to be human. Jesus is the pathway to that new humanity, that new community, a new people that would actually love the world, even if it cost them. That's what this is leading us to. Romans 13.8, remember I said this in week one. Romans 13.8 says, love fulfills the law. And we said in week one, if you're following Jesus, you're fulfilling the law, that law of love. So Deuteronomy, we get Moses' Sermon on the Mount, if you will. Literally, Mount Nebo, he's looking over the promised land, he gives his Sermon on the Mount. Now Joshua's got to take him the rest of the way. Does Moses, in his heart of hearts, Believe the people that are gonna, uh, do they, does he believe the people are going to keep the covenant? Try as they might. Does he believe they could do it? No, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Evil and death and curse do not get the last word. God always has a plan. The real problem is often like the Israelites, we too, we have a trust problem with God. We find it sometimes difficult to fully surrender to him, fully trust him, say, hey, you're the Lord of my life, and you control the the shots. We want to pull back control and do it ourselves, and that always gets us into trouble. We have to trust God completely, and we got to quit trying to define good and evil by our terms. We need to define it by his terms, not our own. In Torah, Moses pleads, pleads with the people. Basically, this would be like... What he's pleading, he says, you know, people, choose life, not death. Choose life, not death. Obedience instead of rebellion. Blessing instead of curses. Right? Would we do the same? That we would choose life instead of death. Obedience instead of rebellion. Blessing instead of curse. See, we we talked about the Shema, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, before that, it says, hero, Israel. Listen up and do this. Love the Lord your God. Hear. It's not just about hearing it. It's about putting it into practice. Hearing and obeying. So here's my, my challenge for you today. And, and, and this, is, this is it. To ask God for a new heart. Ask God for a new heart. And that's, that's especially true if you've never said yes to Jesus. Ask him for a heart transplant that he would put his heart of love inside of you. You can, you can ask him to do that today. That, that is saying yes to Jesus. If you've never done that, you can do that today. Come see me. Come one, see one of us at the Connections booth. Your chat host there. But for, for, for many of us, we, we may have said yes to Jesus already. So maybe we need to, our prayer needs to be, God, soften my heart because I've been hardening it. God, help me trust you completely. Uh, God, soften my heart. God, help me to love the things that you love. Maybe that's going to be your prayer. So whether you need that soft, softer heart prayer or you need a brand new heart today, reach out to the Lord and make that happen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the challenge that, that it shows us. Father, we're thankful for the warnings here and, and the blessings that come from, from, from trusting you, obeying you. Father, help us to, to, to reach out to you for that new heart, uh, the, a heart that, that, that could serve you and please you and bless the world. Help us to love you so much and, and, and out of that love would flow love to our neighbor. Father, empower us for that, that work that you called us to until the day you come back and bring us new heavens and new earth. Father, we pray for that to happen in our hearts this week in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.